I'm Nick Harcourt and welcome to another episode of The Sound of Success, the podcast where we talk with movers, shakers, and just plain cool people about music. Joining us this week on the podcast is Fran Healy, songwriter, lead singer, and guitarist for the band Travis. Travis's first studio album, Good Feeling, released in 1997, was recorded in the famed Bearsville Studios in Woodstock, New York. It got things going for them, and their follow-up, The Man Who, with its single, Why Does It Always Rain On Me, saw the band find mainstream success with a number one album, a slew of awards, including Best Album and Best Band at the 2000 Brit Awards, and friend-winning songwriting honors at the Ivor Novello Awards, Success breeds success because they followed up with major festivals like Glastonbury and Tea in the Park, a massive world tour, and their next album, The Invisible Band, also scored a UK number one and more awards and more touring. In the years since, the band have consistently released fine albums, taking a little more time in between releases, their most recent being the 2020 album, 10 Songs. And I should point out that Fran also released a solo album in 2010, Recorder. Fran joins us today from his home in Los Angeles, where he's been living for the past five years. Great to have you on, Fran, and thanks for making the time. You make it. You make me sound so exotic. <laughs> Call it coming in from his LA. <laughs> You're an exotic fellow. I'm a, 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 yeah, as Billy Connolly says, windswept and interesting. <laughs> I love Billy Connolly. Yeah, you know, you know, it's interesting. You and I first met in two thousand when you were riding the wave of uh, that hit single and album, and you came by my old radio show in LA. But we've had some adjacencies before then. Yeah. Uh, I know you grew up in Glasgow, but you were born in Stafford in the British Midlands. I lived in Lichfield, about fifteen miles away, during my high school and young adulthood. And I was living in Woodstock when you recorded your first album at Bearsville Studios. Not that we met. And now we both live in LA. You've lived in some amazing places. You lived in yeah. Berlin before mm -hmm. you came to LA. What yeah. does a particular town or a particular environment bring to you as an artist, as a songwriter, and to the band when you uh, you know go into a studio and start recording? Wow, it's a really good question to start with, Nick. Um, I, I, I've asked myself this loads of times, and I'm not quite sure my whole thing was like, if if you look at the surf, if you sort of go up and take an eagle-eyes view at your timeline of your life, I remember a decisive moment was in 1996 when I moved the band from Glasgow to London. Mm. And it was like the changing of the backdrop. Just, it's like, uh, it's like, a, it's like just uh turning the page and having a blank page and that freshness makes you a little bit more it does a few things again that i'm gonna go off as you know in tangents as i always do <laughs> but i was talking to someone the other week and we were talking about why holidays are are, are a good idea like going on vacations like and and like i was away before we were on tour just now in, in mexico i was there for like a week by the third day, it felt like I'd been there for about two weeks. And I was going, why does it feel like that? And this ties in with this uh, reason why I probably like to move every now and then. Because when you, when you settle, the, the experience of t the, the speed of time goes really fast. Like when you get used to that, that car journey to work every day, you do the same thing or you get the bus to work, you train it, you, you punch in at the same time, mm. you have that coffee in the same place, 
you say hi to the same person. Eventually, time just starts to go really fast. And um, and I think changing the backdrop, like going on vacation where everything's new, you're like, oh God, even a walk to the restaurant, you're just like, where am I? Who, who is this? Mm. It just makes it time feel a little bit stretched out. And it makes you feel like you've got a little bit more time because that's you, you don't have much. Um, so I think moving to London when we were a little band um, really felt like it, it pushed us all together. It just intensified everything. And um, it's like a catalyst for whatever it is that you're planning. It's a catalyst. So then we stayed in London for 12 years, moved to Berlin for 10 years. When I moved to Berlin, that was a weird period because then that was when I was a dad. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about moving to Berlin? Adam? Why did you move to Berlin and what did what did that bring to you? I mean, 10 years is a good chunk of time to spend anywhere. Yeah, um, well, we, right, so moved to London, we're there for 12 years. Travis exploded around about uh, 1999 and 2000, 2001, up to 2004 and five, it was flying. And then, or, or no, up to 2002, it was flying. Then Neil had his accident and I remember us taking a, a moment and going, oh, this is just, the wings are falling off this plane where, where the altitude is too high for our, our airplane. Maybe for, for the folks who don't know about Neil's accident, you can tell us a little bit about what happened. Well, yeah, Neil broke his neck. We were on a, we, we went on a, we were having a, we were on a, a sort of hiatus. We released the, the Invisible Band, that was our third album. And it was all kind of, it came out. Sing was on the radio, 9-11 happened and then everything, everywhere stopped. And so we almost like hung that album up and we all decided to take a bit of time off because everyone was frazzled. We hadn't really taken any time off for years. And then, so we took about six months off and uh, I remember having this meeting and it was like our manager put out these four envelopes. It was just like something out of film. He's like, we've got four offers for four festivals. One is in Iceland, one is in France, and you've got the two Virgin festivals and that's it. You don't need to do any more gigs. You can take time off, go and write the next record. Mm. And, we, and we were like, cool. So we, we went and they were in a, they were sort of in over two weeks, these, these four gigs. We went to Iceland. It was amazing. We went to France and I've got vivid memories of that day, like seeing the band Granddaddy by the pool. Yeah. Meeting Muse, the band Muse, like backstage and watching a bit of their set and they were great. And then coming back to the hotel after our, our show and then waking up in the middle of the night, very, I was really thirsty. So I went downstairs and I met um, one of our guitar techs and um, he told me that Neil had had a really bad accident in the pool and he jumped into the shallow end and smashed all his, his um, spine. Yeah, scary time. Yeah, it, it was really mental. And luckily for him, though, we were in France, so we were really close to this um, hospital that had pioneered this new spinal procedure, which he had a similar uh, spinal injury to Christopher Reeves. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, but luckily for Neil and us, he was uh, like 100 kilometers away from that hospital. So they airlifted him to this hospital they performed this life-saving, career-saving, uh, mobility-saving operation on him. And he, you know, within six months, he was b back behind the kit. Amazing. I think that event was like, Travis were 
I obviously think a lot in pictures and I, I think like we were like almost like a, a, a Cessna aircraft flying at 40,000 feet. You're not supposed to fly like <laughs> not that. supposed to be that high. Yeah. yeah. You know, we were meant to be because, and then shit starts falling off your, your, your vehicle and you start to like, and then we had to then bring it back down to a, a suitable altitude. I mean, there's bands, uh, Coldplay, U2, Depeche. You know, these bands, they're, they, they built their airplanes to fly at that altitude for mm. whatever reason. Mm. And I, I think for, I was, um, you know, the, the, um, Bono's got his new autobiography coming out. Mm -hmm. You know, did you hear about that? Yeah. There's a, there's a few little trailers everywhere. I, I just, I, I, I think Bono is, um, he's just amazing. He's, he's a, he's very like, I've met him on, on several occasions and he's, he's just a he pours out you know it's he's a very much a old school rock and roll star for the people kind of thing and he talks about the loss of his mother and that's what we, you know and you got you the beatles as well you, you like john lennon paul mccartney both lost their mothers within months of one another hmm. and that's kind of these that's the kind of thing that makes your airplane you know <laughs> be able to fly at those altitudes i think like you have built it to, to, to withstand that amount of pressure. Our little Cessna can fly at about, you know, 10, 15,000 and we're happy. And we found our, we found our optimal altitude and we've been cruising happily ever since putting out records and doing all of that. Um, so I don't know where we were. We were talking a little bit about, I mean, you filled in a lot of gaps there, but we were talking <laughs> a little bit about moving to Berlin. Oh yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, 10 years living in any place, you know, has got to impact your life. First of all, why did you move to Berlin? And right. then secondly, how did it impact? Yeah. What did you learn from that time? So we moved to Berlin because London was mental at the time. Well, not mental. It was just getting really loads of muggings, like loads of people in my street, like three or four people had gotten mugged. Someone threw a brick through my window and stole some stuff. And wow. And it was just like, and we just had a baby. Oh no, that when that happened, Nora was pregnant and it just felt like mm, we should. And, and for some reason, Berlin came up and I thought, oh, let's go and have a look. And it was like, oh my God, you go to Berlin, the children are sort of walking down the street hand in hand. It was like, it, it was kind of like um, fairy tale-ish. So we thought we've got this little baby. And I think for me. I had all the success. We brought the the um, the, the the Cessna down to a suitable altitude, and I I just thought, you know what? I, I and as soon as like Clay was born, my my laser focus thing just went onto him. Just shifted, and, yeah, yeah, and so that was like I moved to London to to be a a rock star, and I moved to Berlin to be a father. And I think that was the reason why we were there. And I'm um, not to say that I didn't make records because I did, you know, did my solo thing and made a few other things. But as far as Travis went, it was like, there was no foot on the accelerator. It was in neutral and we were just like, it was going on as long as it would without, it was, would you call it coasting? I was, I was in a, in a sense, kind of dialing it in a little bit. It wasn't like I was sitting around doing fuck all. It was like I was being, trying to be the, trying to be the dad I never had. 
Yeah, yeah. Trying to be trying to be a dad, and you and I share that, obviously, of you know not really having a. a, a we've spoken about it personally, a, a, yeah. a, a father figure who mirrored how you should be. I mean, you you know, if you don't have that and you become a father, then you're like, Whoa, how do I how do I do this? And it really does take an awful lot of time. Yeah and thought to be able to be present for, for anything, but in, in particular for, you know, for a young, young child. Yeah. Um, what, what did becoming a, a dad do, do for you as an artist? I mean, you talk about the, the band being a, a, a Cessna and sort of dropping down and finding a level perhaps that felt comfortable for, for you to, to maintain a career. What did having this little boy bring to your life at the beginning and then now i mean i know he's a teenager i mean mm -hmm. it must have changed everything well i think as a person i'm as an individual like if i have something to work on if i know exactly what it is i'm like you will never see anyone like dialing as, as as deeply and as like intently so i was kind of and i think with the also that thing i was saying about trying to be the dad that you never had that even made it more in um like that for me so um i don't know I, I i think when we moved to london with the band that moment was like i know exactly what i want i mean the it's, it's funny when you're <clears throat> when it's you that's that person i mean I, i've met other people like that in our business and it, it's like it's this weird thing in certain people where they they stay it's, it's almost like hunting it's like they see something and and they'll chase it until like beyond the point where they, they'll run out of breath, you know, and that's kind of what I'm like. So I, as, as everything, if I've got a, an idea of it, I'll do it a million percent. So we, we were in Berlin for 10 years and it was, it was dreamy. It was, it was cool. And, um, it was, it was also challenging because I, I didn't, couldn't speak German and, um, I didn't really want to, cause I was worried that it would. <laughs> alter my songwriting or something. I don't know. Your brain started thinking in another language. <laughs> in German, do you imagine? Yeah. I was talking to someone the other day and talking about German and maybe I'm completely wrong because you have like Rilke and some great German writers. But to me, German seems like it's on tracks. You know, it's like a train. You can't, you can't really do donuts in a car park, you know, in a train, you know. But you can with English. English is like, you can go up here, you can off roads, you can fuck about with English. It's very mm. manipulable. And, um, anyway, yeah. So I was not speaking German, so that was a little bit weird, but it was a, it was a very nice little bubble for, for 10 years. Yeah. And as you said, you continued making records and obviously putting tours together to, to support the records. Why Los Angeles for your next move? I don't know. I mean, I'm still asking myself <laughs> that. I'm still asking myself. I've, we've come to Los Angeles at a very interesting point, both for Los Angeles and for America. And uh, the planet, uh, I think. And the planet beyond that. Yeah. Um, it's, that's a very good point. When we first came to LA, I was actually just talking to Nigel only two hours ago, Nigel Godrich, or my friend and our producer, about that time we came here in 2000 to do the invisible band we recorded on sunset and gower uh at ocean way studios uh it's important for me to acknowledge that you guys had spent a lot of time here as, as a band hadn't you, you you'd spent mm -hmm. time here recording here as you were just uh, alluding to and mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm guessing most people when they come to la if you're not living here you sort of plug in 
well, like anywhere, right? If you go to a city that you've never really been to, you plug in, you find the bits that you like, and you see it in a particular way. How different was it when you actually moved here and made the decision to to live here? And obviously, mm-hmm. you're not just visiting and then going off and doing something. You're actually going home to an apartment every night. <laughs> um, yeah, there's two sides to it. There's that thing that you and I talked about where you come to Italy and you're like, you kind of feel like you're always on holiday or mm-hmm. vacation because it's always sunny and it's <laughs> like the weather's. And I sort of look around and I'm like, wait, why aren't all these people working? Do they not have jobs to go to? <laughs> you know, what, where, you know, you walk into these supermarkets here and they're full of people. I'm like, wait, what? I don't, it's, it's a bit of a playground, Ellie, in certain parts of it anyway. When we first came here, it was a, like, a complete, it was much more different than it is now. Coming to LA in 2016, 17, homelessness is exploding. Uh, we're, we're, we, Trump just got into power. This, this, what we're, I mean, we're still on the, we're still in the, almost like we're right in the middle of it still. Um, crazy time. Well, everything's polarizing, isn't it? And in yeah. the world, uh, like you, like you, like you said, so. But for instance, um, I lived in Berlin for 10 years. I didn't hear a single person raise their voice to me or to anyone. I didn't see a single moment of what you would call argy bargy, you know, like people like saying like whatever, fighting or, or arguing or I never saw any, and I was, you know, you're, you're out in the world and nothing. And like just this past year alone. I have gotten into almost fisticuff fights with people, uh, just crazy people on the street in LA. Mm. Like either like there was two homeless guys that were that I got into thing with. There was a guy who, who like um, he thought he got a fright because he thought I was going to bump him with my car. I totally saw him and I'd, I'd broken and I was like, I'm so sorry, man. I'm my fault, you know. Put my hands up and I'm all like, hey, and he's like, get out the fuck car. And you, I was like, okay, I'll get out of the fucking car. <laughs> You're one of the calmest guys that I've ever met in this, in this business. And, and, and I, 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 I think of you as a friend, we've spent a lot of time yeah. together over the years. Yeah. Um, and I, I just can't imagine what your reaction would, would be to something oh, like that. But again, this is, this is this thing where you, you only see, well, as we're friends, you you know a bit more about me, but most people will see only this side of Fran Healy, this kind of, oh, he's so lovely there. But I'm like, oh, fuck, I'll, I will fight anyone. I'm just fucking, I'm like, I'm like, don't, what, you want to, you want me to get out of my car? Let's go. And so I get out of my car and, and this is like traffic stop, people looking out their windows and I'm very calm. I'm not angry because, you know, as a samurai, you don't lose your temper. <laughs> <laughs> you can never strike someone down in anger but then you lose so i was all like calm down i got out i i did get out of my car quite angrily but then i immediately calmed and this this guy did the was one of the scariest things i've ever seen anyone do in a fight he he, he pushed me and i pushed him back and he was like so shocked that anyone could would it even like stand up to him I mm. stood, stood my ground and um, he went over to his mate and he took his shoes and socks off and I was like oh 
shit, this guy's like one of these extreme fighter guys. Kickboxer or something. Yeah, like he's going to kick the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> however, I managed to, to de-escalate the situation. Well I, realized, I realized I was wearing my shades and I took my shades off and I was like looking him in the eye and calmed him down and just sent him on his way. And it was like, but this is like in a, three things like in a year where I was literally coming to blows. I got the other I mean, six weeks ago, a guy tried to pull me out of my car, carjack me. I this mean, hom you, this homeless guy. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you tell me these things and, you know, obviously I've lived in Los Angeles for 25 years, so I'm aware of, you know, certain places, uh, but, but there's just this, the, the randomness of, of something like this. And obviously we're also in a country where people have guns, you know, so it, it's kind of, yeah. kind of scary. I mean, five years in and having to deal with this Get me stuff. out of here. <laughs> I mean, are you, are you going to stick around? I mean, you know, no. where, where's next for you? Have you started thinking about that? Of course. Uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm already, we, we, we've been here five years. Uh, we've, we, we're going to be here for at least another two, mm. or I don't know um, how long it's going to be, but um, I definitely, I, I, I want to keep moving. Because I think, like, to to rewind to what we talked about at the start, yeah, changing the backdrop is an important part of, I think, just reflect refreshing. It's like it's like laundering your life, you know, if you can. Just get get. Why are you staying in the same place? All of a sudden, just like move, move around, be free. I, I, I'm, I'm with you, and you know, my 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 girlfriend talks about it as being fresh air. It's like you just go somewhere and you get some fresh air, and yeah. you know, it cleans your mind out. Uh, opens you up to other possibilities and, yeah. and I'm with you, even though I've been here this long, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I know that there's another move coming for me as well, somewhere around the corner. Cause I, I need that as well. Yeah. But you're, you're here because your work was here. Like I can go anywhere because my, I'm on the roads. I'm in a band. I can do that. If we can get this podcast to, to take off, then maybe I can go live anywhere as well. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's jump into these questions that I, that I have, um, <laughs> that I ask all my guests and we get to find a little bit about your, your history with music. What's your first musical memory? There's two that sort of, that smudge together. One is, um, three years old. A holiday uh, vacation in Blackpool with my mum, my auntie Chrissy, my nana, my granda, my uncle Bill, my auntie Babs and my cousin Lisa. And we had a minibus. We were all in this, I think one of the grown-ups were driving a little minibus and hearing Save All Your Kisses for me on the radio. It was, they were hammering it. Save all your kisses. Kisses for me. Save all your kisses. Who's that by? The Brotherhood of Man. Right. Oh my God. And the, obviously there's, there's songs that are on the air, not just that song, but there are certain melodies that, that stand above others. And that one, it sounded a bit just, that was stuck in my head. And then there's another one when I was, I remember when I was four or five walking to school for the first time, terrified about leaving my mom, really didn't like going to school and, um, over and over in my head, hearing, Blondie. And then, and, and that, those, those two little sets of melodies on a loop in my mind. And I didn't know what, yeah, Blondie, but I didn't know what it was at the time. You're working to school at the age of five or something. Yeah, but it's connected. 
absolutely connected with trauma. And every time I hear it as a grown up, I'm, I get this weird. Yeah, nervous and start yeah. looking. <laughs> you have that in your head when that guy's trying to pull you out of your car or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about um, what about buying music? What was the hmm. first music you bought with your own money? Hmm. Good question. Um, I believe I bought. Um, again, it's a smoosh together around about all about the same time. There's a a memory of buying this record for my mum because we didn't have a record player. We just got one. Um, or rather my granda had one, he had an old radiogram, which is like, you know, this looks like a sideboard. You slide the doors open and you, it was, um, it was the single by Lionel Richie. Hello. And I got it from my granda to play on his, uh, wreck this, wreck this thing, this grand thing. Radiogram, yeah. But I didn't know what a record player really was. I didn't understand. It would be this equivalent. I just, it was like this, what is this? And oh, what that plays one of those things. And so I got it for him as a present. And I remember excitedly putting it on his radiogram thing and clicking the sort of Bakelite switch yeah. and watching this, the record hit the deck and start mm -hmm. to spin. And then the arm come around and go on it. It hadn't been used in about 30 years. And so it, it, it was just like, it was like the end of 2001 when Hal's losing his mind. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first record, a really weird version of Hello. What about live music? What was the first concert you went to without um, adult supervision? That was um, a guy, right? So my friend, there's. Again, I'll have to give you two because one is, one was, I didn't choose to go to this. It was like my friend won tickets in a raffle at school to go and see this pop sensation at the time in, in Britain called Owen Paul, um, who had a song called My Favourite Waste of Time. Oh, right. I remember <clears> the song. Don't remember the, what, what was the artist's name again? Owen Paul. Don't remember the artist, but I remember the song. You're my... You're my favorite waste of time. Um, right. It, all, it, it, it was, and so me and my mate went to the pavilion in Glasgow. We went into this, this, this big theater and we were the only boys in the whole theater. It was just full of wee, wee girls, like 12 year, 13, 14 year old girls. We we're right in the middle and it, it was like a Beatles concert. And I remember going, not like. First of all, I'm going on oh, no, all, we're the only boys here. And at that age, you're like, I hate girls, you know, so, <laughs> yeah, they're so boring. Yeah. Until you but, figure it out. Yeah. yeah. But that was the first feeling. And then the second feeling was that, oh my God, gigs are amazing. This is like, oh, I love this. This is so cool. And then after that first gig was, um, we saw, it was either the cramps or the house of love. In 1989, Cramps were the Cramps show was when um, the the uh, the album Stay Sick was out. Love the Cramps, yeah. yeah, and and that was just mind blowing. It was like he's one of the great frontmen ever, Lux, and and um, that they were just you know you, if you've you've seen them live, you're just like that was like eye opening. 
I never saw them live. You know, that song, by the way, you were talking about, I, the reason I know the song is because the original version was by Marshall Crenshaw. It was written by Marshall Crenshaw. Is that a, is that a, I didn't realize it was a cover. Yeah, it's a cover. <gasps> when from? Um, the original version, and of course, you know, as we're speaking, I'm looking this up on, uh, sure. on, on Google. Um, sure. uh, 1982, something like that. 1979, it was a home demo and released as a B-side on his Someday, Someway song. Wow. And then here's, here's a, a, another little sort of six degrees. Marshall Crenshaw lives in Woodstock. I knew him when I was mm -hmm. over, over there. Yeah, yeah. So that was a wow. cover. I, you don't know, though, do you? I mean, especially when you're younger and you don't have access to all the information like we do now. It's like, what's that song? And you hit, you know, get on the yeah. phone and you can find out everything about when it was written, who yeah. all is, else has covered it. Uh, yeah. But when you're, you know, a kid and you hear something for the first time, you go, I love that guy and his song. Yeah. You just, you have this immediate, yeah, you don't know whether it's cool or not cool or, you know, it's just, it's just there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you listen to when you want to dance? I don't dance. Fair enough. I really don't. I, I've, I, 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 it's something that never, in my family, no one ever danced. Like not even a, when you're at home on your own and there's nobody around, you, 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 you don't. Well, look, yesterday when me and Clay were hanging out i had um we were playing we were having a, a little depeche mod moment mm. and um i was i was i'm a good that's the thing i'm quite a good dancer but uh I, I don't it's it's like you know if there's no drinkers in your family you probably won't be a drinker like because you just never saw it happening around sure. you nobody danced in my like nobody and um so i'm not i look at people dancing and it makes me feel uncomfortable <laughs> there's, all, there's also um, usually not as much dancing going on if there's no drinking involved as well. That's something that I've, <laughs> I've, that I've noticed through the years. What, what, do you, uh, what do you listen to when, you, when you're feeling sad? And I know you've talked before about feelings and depression. Are you somebody who sort of barrels into that with music or do you stay away from it? No, no, I, I'm quite raw. I'm quite open. I think whatever it is that, people have that that stops them feeling stuff that's missing in me i'm fucking i'm like raw i feel stuff very like um deeply um and so i'm very sensitive so i'll be like watching uh, what was i watching the other night here's the thing I, I was reading a poem yesterday by seamus heaney called digging and i started i was in bed in the dark with my phone Seamus Heaney's an, an incredible poet. He's dead now. And um, it's, it's like the ground floor of Seamus Heaney is this, is, is this the poem you would get at school. And um, it's called Digging. And um, I, I was, I, by the end of it, I was crying. By the, the fourth stanza, I was like tears rolling down my face. And if you read the poem, you're like, I, I'm like, when you think about it, you're like, but what is, what's in this that's making me f open up like this? And um, the, the poem's about his father. The poem's about the, the, this, the, the memory, about time. It's, it's a wonderful. Are you familiar with the poem? I'm not. Well, check it out after the, the podcast. But um, we'll do. <clears throat> I, so I'll, loads of things will set me off. Like I, I, I'll see someone, I don't know, on the street and they're maybe... 
I don't know, they're lost or they're, they, you, you see these poor souls, especially in, in LA. And I get very, like, very um, emotional about like, like where, the, where did they come from? What's their story? Mm. A lot of things set me off. And it's, music is, is on the list there, but um, for a musician, I'm probably one of those musicians that don't really play all that much music. I, I get off on everything, you know, it doesn't have to just be music. We just added this next question a couple of uh, episodes ago. I was talking to um, the the director, writer, and producer Adam McKay. And uh, by the way, dear listener, if you haven't heard that episode, check it out. It's fantastic. Great. And and he was talking. I don't know how we got into it, but we we ended up with this question uh, that I've now put into the uh, the questionnaire. Um, <laughs> you know, you and I grew up in in the UK where they have a show. I think they still have it, right? Desert Island Discs, where they have a a guest comes yeah. on and says, if I was stranded on a desert island, these would be the five songs or whatever it is that I, that I would listen to. We're going to limit this to, to one. It's a great show. If you could only hear one song, if somebody said, look, I'm sorry, we're, we're wiping out all the music that's around, but you can keep one song, what would it be? It's a great question. Uh, what song would it be? What's, it would be the song I always come back to. I would probably say in my life. Beatles. Yeah. I think it would be in my life because the lyric, there's something about the lyric that, that, that is just, you know, he wrote that when he was like 18 or something. Beautiful song. Crazy age to, to be so, I mean, I say it's just crazy age to be so wise, but you're probably a lot wiser when you're when you're younger i heard this great thing nick the other day i went to um with my friend on a uh, he wanted to go between paul mccartney and john lennon's house do that walk and we were doing a gig in glasgow and i drove i, I went down to liverpool met him in liverpool and we did the walk and um the national trust just happened bus just happened to pull up beside lennon's house and uh, I asked the guy, I was like, oh, can, can, do you mind if we jump in the back of your tour? And he was like, yeah, mate, come on, let's go in. You're in that band, aren't you? And <laughs> very, it's a very good Liverpool accent. Yeah, he's like, oh, I love Travis. And we got back in the, 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 the bus after Lennon's house. And Lennon, you know, weirdly, is that it was middle class, you know, that I never, I was, because it's the projection of, you know, working class hero, all that stuff. And um, we went to McCartney's house. Now, that house has got magic. And he was talking about how Lenny McCartney would stand, uh, would be in this living room next to the fireplace, and they'd be like backwards and forwarding the, the song. And he, he talked about um, that song, um, I saw her standing there. She was just 17, right? If you know what I mean. Right. So, but originally, it was, she was just 17, not quite a beauty queen. Mm. And, and Lennon was like, uh, I'm not sure about that line. And McCartney said, oh, you know what I mean? And he goes, that's better. Boom. You know, that's, and that, that, that sort of tune, very quick tune froze thing that yeah. they had going. Do you have a, a favorite music video? I mean, you guys were around when music videos still meant something. Um, I mean, I know you still make videos. Um, but I'm presuming you grew up watching them as well. Do you, do you have a favorite? I've got loads of favorite music videos. I think music videos is a great medium for the directors who are 
it's it's not it's like it's not too long it's not too short they get to flex their muscles and do cool stuff but my favorite i, I, I just accidentally saw um the aha video love that one which is 37 years old or oh 38 God, years that old makes me feel so old <laughs> i was living in australia when that came out i remember i remember it coming out and it just there was nothing like it and i again this is another thing i started getting teary watching it I, 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 because whatever it is, whatever time it was, it just all these feelings come back. You don't quite know what they are, why, but that seeing, I remember seeing it and you know, where the, the hand comes out of the, 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 the magazine, uh, the, the cartoon strip and, and beckons her into the magazine and she tentatively grabs the hand and he pulls her in. Yeah. And then the woman grabs the, 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 and she throws it in the bin. It's just like, oh my God. Here's an interesting story. I was in London in a cab and not, not in a black cab, but just a, not a, a mini cab. And, um, I met the, I met the guy who produced that video and he was driving a cab, but not because he needed to. He was just like, he was just a bit eccentric. Just to meet people. <laughs> yeah. And he, not only did he do that video, his company did Sledgehammer. Peter Gabriel. Yeah. yeah. Which is another. Genius just, video. Yeah. Mind blown. Yeah. Anyway, so. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting because what you're saying ties into feeling, doesn't it? As you, as you mentioned, you know, what was it about the time when you first heard that or when you first saw that? And that's the power of music to just, you know, take you right back in time to a moment when you when you first heard something. I, I mean, I, I feel that all the time, sometimes when I, I hear a song that I haven't heard for a long time. Do you have a recent musical discovery that you'd like to share with that, with our listeners? And uh, it doesn't have to be necessarily a new band. Maybe it's somebody who's been around a while, but you've only just discovered them, or maybe just a, a new artist that you're digging. Um, so, so something old is Bert Jansch. Uh, his first album which is called something really obvious. Hold on. Let me look on, let me look on my thing just for a second. Bert. Yeah. Now Bert was from Glasgow, I believe. And he was just, you know, he's just this wonderful old folky. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just, I think it's his debut eponymous album that's just called Bert Yanch. Uh, let me see. And that's something that you've recently fallen in love with. I've been in love with that for a good few years now, but mm. as we're, you know, we're, it's a bit timeless, you know? So, and in fact, there's a track on that album, that first record, which, because Bert Jansch was also an incredible guitarist and inspired people like Jimmy Page and as in homage to Bert Jansch, Page took Bert's version of um, what's that song? C Cold Mountain Blues. You know that. Anyway, it's very famous Led Zeppelin song called Misty Mountain Hop or something. Yes, yes, and and that's a it's an old folky song. Yeah, that yeah, Bert, yeah. Bert yeah, Jansch interpreted. Then Jimmy Page took Bert Jansch's interpretation and, and played it on his album. Do you have a band or an artist that you like, that, that you love, but feel perhaps they never quite got the big break they deserve? 
Um, no. No, because when I look back and I think about all the bands that might have been like that, I'm like, you know what? No, I think everyone ends up where they should be. Okay. In the, in the end. Do you have an artist that you would describe as a, a guilty pleasure? Where you have to wind your windows up while you're screaming at the top of your voice. It's not so much a, this is not so much a, an artist. It's a, it was um, the musical for um, Annie, the motion picture. Mm. It's one of those things that I, I just, at the time, I was like, I don't know what it was. I think I had something about, I just had an affinity with that character. I, something about that little girl. I was like, that's me. <laughs> no. You know, I don't know, like not having a dad, you know, not having that, that, that longing for that thing that you, that, that all your friends have got, but you don't have. So I, 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 as a so young you related kid, to the character. I think so. Yeah. And, and that dress is great. <laughs> <laughs> um, the little red dress. Fantastic. No, I related to the character massively. I remember standing outside. I wanted to see it again. I went to see it. I was like, remember, this is a, uh, you know, what's his face? Oh, John Huston, the great John Huston, the director, like, um, he did the original movie. Yes. He is. And that's why it's such an incredible, brilliant movie. It's just made by a master filmmaker. And, uh, the, I went to see it. I was like, oh my God, this is phenomenal. And then as I was like. I need uh, to, to my granddad, like, can we go and see it again? And remember, we were standing outside the, the, the cinema, uh, getting, buying sweets across the, the candy, sorry, across the street. And my mates, I met Bert ran into mates from school and, uh, they're all like, oh, are you going to see Rocky too? And I was like, no, I'm going to see, I'm going to see Annie. And I didn't realize how odd that must have sounded. <laughs> They're like, uh-huh. <laughs> one last thing, but sorry, just one last thing. Cause we you see the soundtrack on that album, there's one particular song that's called maybe is the one that's the one that when I hear it, I'm just like, oh God, I'm rolling the windows up. I'm going to start, <laughs> going to start crying here. Driving through LA, trying to avoid the carjackers. Um, <laughs> as, as we wrap this up, first mm -hmm. of all, thank you. Um, we're recording this on a, on a Sunday in Los Angeles, and I appreciate you finding the, the time. And we always end with, this, with the same question, which is, mm -hmm. how are you feeling right now? Fucking <laughs> hell, Nick. That good, huh? <laughs> um, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm in a funny place at the moment, actually. Uh, because I have to make, um, 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 I have to write, I have to write a record. And so I get in this really weird zone when I'm writing, just get really, um, unsure of myself. And, um, here's a, I'll tell you, like, if it, like you, you do like in my mind, my thoughts are very calm and steady, which is good. My body feels good. I feel fit and healthy, which is great. My heart feels in, in my emotions are, are where there's, there's, there's a lot of doubt and a lot of like, I don't, I can't do this. I'm imposter syndrome sort of thing. Mm. And spiritually, I feel, I feel pretty good spiritually. I feel like, uh, not when I, I don't feel 
I feel connected to the, whatever it is. So, um, I think the only thing that's a bit wobbly, uh, that needs maybe tightening up, the screws need tightened is, is that, and that, that's part of the process of writing the, the record. You need to, I guess it's what they call deconstructing the ego. <laughs> well, listen, it's been great hanging out with you. I look forward <laughs> to whatever you write. And, uh, strangely enough, I think I'm going to see you in LA in about a week, week and mm -hmm. a half. You've got a, got a date in LA. So, mm -hmm. uh, this will be out by then. Fran, thanks so much for, for hanging out with me on the sound of success. Love you, Nick. The Sound of Success is hosted and produced by myself, Nick Harcourt, for Spark Network. Our theme music is by Keita Klein. For more episodes, find us on Spotify, Apple, sparknetwork.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. 